Our first reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and verses 9 through 21. So siblings, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. And then our second reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. I say be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious. They include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you as I've already warned you that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. Part of me really wants to ask, in the first list that Paul lays out in Galatians, which is long, 
Which is your favorite? Which is your favorite of those things that we're not supposed to do? Those things we're being warned about. But I won't ask for hands and I won't ask for feedback about it. Have you ever heard or been told to be a good Christian? Or have you ever heard someone, you know, kind of described as a good Christian? What is a good, what makes up a good Christian? Helping others. What else? Not judging others? Kindness? Generosity? Anything else come to mind? Joy? Now, when you hear someone described as a good Christian, is that always what they're talking about? Those are the qualities that that person has? I've heard a lot of people described as good Christians that make me go, which part? Sometimes they're really talking about kind of how they act, or how they look, things like that. But here's the bottom line with the whole good Christian thing. It's an oxymoron. We can't be good Christians. Because if you read through Paul's writings, we can't be good. We always err on the side of selfishness. And we never quite get to the good part when left on our own devices. The other thing we tend to do with these lists that Paul gives us is we think about them individually. Like Paul's talking to us and telling us specifically what to do and what not to do. That's not how Paul's thinking of it. In fact, Paul rarely talks about things in individual terms. Remember, this is a letter written to a community of young Christians that are dealing with some problems. We don't have the letter that came to Paul that elicited this letter that we do have. But they had some things going on in their community. And there were some divisions, and probably some fighting, and probably just humans being humans to each other. But the first list, all of those things and many more, he kind of ends with, you know, there's a lot more on this list, but i got to stop because papyrus is expensive and the poor scribe's hand is cramping up and we can't do this forever, so we got to cut it. That first list, all of those things have one thing in common. Any guesses to the, what they have in common? Selfish? Yep, they're all pretty self-centered. They are all destructive to communities. All of those things... Puberty there for a second. All of those things listed by Paul are destructive to communities of people. So that group in that he's writing to. They are dealing with things that are having ripple effects in their community and it's destructive to them. And they're not living out their faith. 
When we go to what he's talking about, anytime we're selfish, we're self-centered, we're focused on idols, we're doing all of these things that benefit us at the expense of other people, it's destructive to communities. And that's not how the church is supposed to be. So he lists these things that people are struggling with. Does any of it look familiar? If you look at the modern church, if you go back to the first part, are we still struggling with any of this stuff in the church? Fighting? Hate? Obsession? Losing your temper? Competitive opposition? Conflict? Group rivalry? Jealousy. All of these things are still alive and well in the church. Maybe even more so now as we've split more and more into different groups within the church. As we fight more and more. As we self-righteously proclaim that we have the right answers. But Paul warns us that all of these things are not of the Spirit, and they oppose the Spirit. We talk a lot about the Spirit dwelling within us. The Spirit is the thing that motivates us to do good in this world, to be the church, to be the handbeat of God. It's the Spirit within us that moves us. And the Spirit does not produce these things. So what does a life look like? What is a Christian supposed to look like in how they live their life? Paul lays it out in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We within the church take a lot of time to argue what a Christian should look like and be like and act like. We spend a lot of our time trying to define what a Christian is. But unfortunately, most of the time, those definitions are ours and not God's. Far too many churches have a narrow mold of what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't fit that narrow mold... You don't belong there. Rarely does the fruit of the Spirit factor into that. The challenge that the early Christians have and that we still have is, how do you take the teachings of Jesus and apply them to how we live our lives? That's what the book of Acts is. The early church taking Jesus' teachings and applying them to their lives. What should our life look like? If someone who is not a Christian looks at us and how we are throughout our day, what should they see? And it's not hatred towards others. It's not bigotry and racism. It's not 
feeling like we're better than others or smarter than others. It's not putting others down. It's not subjecting others and oppressing others. And unfortunately, for far too much of the church's history, that's exactly what the outside looking in picture was and still is. We hear a lot about all of the younger people that leave Christianity in the church and don't come back, and they're called the nuns because they're not affiliated with anything, and we make the mistake of thinking that they left faith behind. That's often not true. They've seen the church operate exactly how I just talked, with rhetoric and hate and exclusivity and putting people down and oppressing others, and they've said, wait a minute, this doesn't match what Jesus taught, and I don't want anything to do with it. They haven't left faith behind. In fact, I would argue they are taking faith more seriously and taking the teachings of Jesus more seriously than those within the church largely are. When I read that list of what we're supposed to exhibit, did it seem overwhelming to anybody? Could you think back several hours, think of an example of of something you did, said, that might not make that list of the fruit of the Spirit? Your driving got cut off, spoke in tongues, (laughs) not quite. The mistake we often make when we try to decipher what it means to live a Christian life is we turn it into our list of rules to follow. We create our own legalism. We do exactly what the Pharisees did, and we create a new system to live by that we have made that makes us good Christians. What Paul's offering here is not a system or a to-do list. Paul's talking about how we are to live in response to the Spirit coming and indwelling in us, to the kingdom of God being in this world, and we are to live in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, Kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, these things should flow out from us in all situations, at all times, in all interactions. When people see these things in us, they see the Spirit of God. Now, we don't always have great days. We're not always going to get it all right. And that's when this wonderful thing called grace kicks in, and God says, yep, you screwed up, and I still love you, and you try again tomorrow. That's what the Christian life is. It's a series of screw-ups and trying again. Screw-up and trying again, over and over and over again. And when we do that, when we live that way, The Spirit moves in this world. 
So when we think about this topic of the Christian life, what I hope you take from this is a couple of things. One, take the pressure off of yourselves to be a good Christian. Banish that from your vocabulary. Never speak of it again. Never describe anyone else that way. Take the pressure off of yourself to be perfect. To get it all right. Because that's not what God asks of you. The second thing, rely on the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit that dwells within you to come out of you and with it these attributes so that others experience this fruit, this fruit that, gets, that gives life, that builds community, that builds fellowship, heals relationships, that ushers in God's kingdom and grows it throughout the earth. The beauty of the Christian faith, we don't have to get it all right. In fact, we're told we're not going to get it all right. And God loves us and there's grace abundant. And we can always try again. So take some time. Start thinking, do people see these things in me? Or when have people seen them in you? Or when have you messed up and they've seen something else? Be self-aware enough in the moment to rely on the Spirit and to let the Spirit do its work and heal our world. We don't do it. The Spirit does it through us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 